Hi, welcome to episode 16 of the Candor Beach podcast. Today, we will be talking to you about renewable energy. Silesh, we have a lot of renewable energy sources. What, in your opinion, is the best? Um, I would why? say hydrogen. 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 Yeah. Because the concentration of uh, energy in a single molecule of uh, hydrogen is mm -hmm. way more than fossil fuel, like octane or any kind of fossil fuel. So I would rather stick with hydrogen. I think it's two, two or three times uh, more than a single mole of uh, um, fossil fuels. Gasoline. Right. You say mole, I was thinking of the whole. Uh, no, no, it was no, thrown no. back chemistry, to avocados chemistry. number and like high school chemistry, but interesting. Um, so hydrogen, but we've been focusing forever about uh, on, on solar energy and wind energy and uh, hydro, hydroelectric energy. Are those sources dead? What has become of those? I don't think they're dead, but they are more, um, for me, I would say they're stationary forms of energy. Um, hydrogen uh, can be carried anywhere, you know, like it can be filled up in a, uh, in a tank and uh, took everywhere, but you cannot carry a solar panel. Yeah, the, you have cars with the solar, I think it was, um, what was that company? Um, Lightyear. I think Lightyear yeah, does uh, it as well. Yeah. There are a bunch of companies how... that do it. But exactly. what we're so... talking about is Lightyear uh, as a car concept. They have, they harness the power of solar energy on the solar energy using panels on the roof to run the car. But yeah, uh, go ahead. You're talking about uh, carrying hydrogen as a source from one point to another, but isn't that why we have a grid? I mean, when you're traveling, mm -hmm. so even if you take a electric car, right? So Tesla, for you to charge it, it's going to take a full charge with a, a Tesla fast charge, it's about like an hour and a half or two hours. So that's so, electrical energy that's being stored. Electrical energy, right? So, but if you completely uh, con uh, con convert the grid, uh, grid source of energy from coal to solar, you know, that that's that's one of the major forms of energy. But then you, you can- you That's know, still electrical even, energy though. Exactly, so- Right. Even in hydrogen, electrical energy is possible, hydrogen fuel cells. So if you look, um, I'm not talking about the combustion engine, you know, like combustion, um, it's com hydrogen combustion. We have the hydrogen combustion and we have the hydrogen fuel cell technology, right? So fuel cell is basically you react hydrogen with oxygen and the uh, energy which is produced through it is um, electricity is, um, is utilized to run the car. That is uh, hydrogen fuel cell technology. And then you have hydrogen combustion. It's just like a regular uh, internal combustion engine. So if I could just uh, circle back to the question, what is the advantage of carrying hydrogen one from one place to another? Like why I'd mentioned the grid was because I figured if it's a question of transportation or, or storage, Mm -hmm. Don't we already have equipment that does that? Wouldn't it be easier if I just converted the hydrogen generated into electricity and then pushed it to the existing infrastructure? I mean, how are you going to do that with a car? So what do you, uh, you, I'm not able to understand your question probably. What I'm saying is. Oh, I wasn't uh, thinking you, about just a car. 
I was thinking about energy in general, like hydrogen as oh, a source energy of energy. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. So no, I was thinking in, in the form of a car. So I, I, was I would thinking... convert to electrical energy. I wouldn't like if I had a Tesla as an example, if I had an electric vehicle, I would just use hydrogen to convert to I would convert hydrogen to electrical power and then store it in my car. Yeah, that's the the basis of fuel cell technology, right? So the hydrogen fuel cell. There's the, there's only no storage part of it. Um, energy gets um, created as you go, as uh, as the as you drive. There is, um, you know, the this reaction is going on in the background, like hydrogen, you know, combining with oxygen uh, and creating energy. Undoubtedly. I, I was just wondering what the advantage of carrying hydrogen might be, but because like to my mind, to have it react the way you've wanted or the, the way you want it to react, there are going to be specific external conditions that you need to maintain because of which you yeah. are going to want like say if pressure and temperature are considered key considerations and they just might be, or if you want to start the reaction. I don't know if hydrogen and oxygen just placed in the chamber are going to start creating whatever, like H2O plus. It's not going to be a nascent oxygen, but whatever the reaction is in within a fuel cell, there are certain conditions that need to be met for it to create energy. And that's something that I'm going to have to actively invest in. I'm going to have to actively build out and I'm going to have to actively sustain. Okay. As opposed to doing that, if I just converted energy generated from hydrogen to electricity, then wouldn't that be just fine? And this argument might just be incredibly inane, considering that to extract hydrogen, you might just need water. So I might be using electricity to break down those hydrogen molecules from water in the first place. And I'm saying convert it back. So that might just be stupid, but help me understand. Like, what are the advantages of why is carrying hydrogen more efficient? If it is. So, yeah, so uh, carrying hydrogen is more efficient because, you know, as I said before, the energy concentration of hydrogen is way higher. It's three times of uh, fossil fuels or, you know, um, if you compare it with, uh, you know, like uh, a battery, you know, a battery, how much of, you know, a charge on a battery going to last max? Uh, and we don't have cars which which max go about like 300, uh, 300 miles uh, on a single charge. But then you have a hydrogen, you, you have way more concentration of energy. So if you're able to particularly bring a good uh, storage capability, um, I think there is a capacity to go all the way up to 1,000 miles on a, on a single, uh, a single uh, refuel. That's fantastic. So basically, the advantage of hydrogen lies in its efficiency. Yeah. All right. And there was the conversation around fusion recently. A few months ago, we had mm -hmm. our first successful fusion reaction where we um, produced more energy than was expended to create the, the reaction. Is that something that's going to come in the near future? Yeah, if that comes in and they actually able to do it. It's actually right now the industry leaders are US and China, which are doing it. China was actually able to do it recently. And US, actually, uh, the, the experiment which she was talking about was in uh, was from uh, US. So mm -hmm. they uh, 
they actually got more energy than they uh, expended. Um, if that is able to do it, so basically it'll become completely renewable. You you know you can get rid of nuclear, you can get rid of uh, solar, everything. That that will give you enough energy to you know uh, you know give enough energy for the entire world. Right, and just so everybody is clear, we are not talking about that happening in a fuel cell, because with no. with the fusion, you are you are bringing together hydrogen atoms. So you are basically taking an atomic number of one and pushing it up to two, which is helium, as opposed to what a fuel cell might generate, which would be well, when, with a combination of oxygen, water. Right, so. If if hydrogen is going to be that future, how are we creating this hydrogen? So, like you said, there is one of the process of hydrogen is breaking down water molecules. Water is made of uh, two atoms of hydrogen, um, hydrogen and one uh, one um, atom of um, oxygen, right? So you can break it down through electrolysis, electrolysis um, or the, the the major other one which everybody is using is methane reforming. So methane is uh, one atom of carbon uh, and four atoms of hydrogen. So when you reform methane, basically in, in presence of a catalyst, it creates hydrogen, a little bit of carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide. But then the major product is hydrogen two uh, atoms of hydrogen. So that and how is, are you powering these reactions? Um, either through, so um, methane reforming, you require natural gas or, you know, methane, which is, you know, gober gas, you know, like um, um, Very popular waste, in India. gas from waste. Um, mm. but, and then, you know, uh, if you're powering, um, you know, electrolysis of water, um, you need electricity, massive amounts of electricity, which can also be renewable if you use solar solar power. Right. So you said using natural gas for electricity. Was that correct? Or no, you no, just no. said electricity uh, for, for the for breaking down water. You need electricity for uh, methane reforming. You do not need electricity. You need a catalyst. It's it's more of a chemical reaction than uh, electricity wise then um, you don't need to put in electricity to uh, create uh, create hydrogen through methane. Electrolysis before. is also a chemical reaction because you have your anode and cathode and Yeah, so but the major form of, you have to input energy in, in electrolysis, so. And methane they, does not require that. I believe not, not the methane reforming doesn't, it needs, it's a chemical process, um, and you can extract hydrogen through that. Understood. All right, so then would you be foreseeing a future where we are primarily extracting hydrogen from methane, or are we going to be looking at hydro at uh, uh, water as uh, as a as a medium? Because as but, but what I have seen, we've been talking about, and I've had these conversations with uh, manufacturers, they've been focused on three forms of, of hydrogen energy. They've been talking about blue hydrogen, green hydrogen, and gray hydrogen. Blue hydrogen <laughs> is hydrogen extracted utilizing natural gas. 
gray hydrogen is using fossil fuels and green is using renewable sources. And you're talking about methane, which is like, if that works, like if I don't have to. How would that blue be hydrogen? Blue hydrogen is basically um, uh, methane reforming. Okay, so what can you walk us through the process of methane reforming? So methane reforming, you know, like um, that's blue hydrogen, right? So you you brought you brought up the um, you bring up natural. You have massive amounts of natural gas. You take um, basically it's breakdown of hydrocarbons. You know, so you have the car carbon and hydrogen, right? So you break it down using a chemical process and a catalyst. A catalyst is something which speeds up a reaction. Um, and you break it down to uh, carbon monoxide, uh, carbon dioxide, and um, you know, uh, in presence of oxygen, of course, uh, and hydrogen. I understand, but what is the energy source? What are the external conditions that are fueling this reaction, so to speak? Um, Energy source for it is, is steam, you know, that there's that it's also a steam uh, reforming in presence of heat. So you you can oh that's uh, what you I would find that. Yeah. So okay, so sure. Um the energy source, yeah, yeah. It should be some kind of what I'm getting um, at is basically heat, like heat. if I'm like at the end of the day, whatever energy we are producing, it's all a conversion from one form to another. And how we achieve this conversion and what is that optimum state in which like I am expending less energy to create something that will give me more energy. And that might not make sense because we've we've learned the principles of conver uh, of conservation, right? Uh, energy can neither mm -hmm. be created nor destroyed. So we are basically converting it from something that is less efficient to something that is more efficient just so everybody's clear on what we are getting at. So hydrogen, per your earlier argument, is going to be a more efficient form of energy, which is why we are breaking our heads. We're trying to figure out how we can extract hydrogen, why mm -hmm. we are expending energy in other forms to extract hydrogen, right? Yeah. Um, as I understand it, uh, your steam methane reforming process is going to be under high pressure, like. 25 yeah, bars so um yeah you need some kind of energy to heat up um the steam right so we have to bring it bring water to steam so which is energy uh you need energy to make it into steam so either some either we need fossil fuel or uh we need uh natural gas itself to heat which up makes it gray water. or blue hydrogen exactly right and that hydrogen needs to be transported like you were talking about. And that also is not something that has been solved just yet, has it? Which is why it's still out in the future. The logistics yeah, no. of storage and transportation isn't solved per se. Hydrogen is very combustible. So it's it, it's, it gets hard to transport it because if there is any difference in pressure, it can just blow up. So it's not like, yeah, you know, like it's also another problem where it comes out the energy. Yeah, you know, we were discussing previously that you know the hydrogen uh, per mole of uh, you know hydrogen has higher energy concentration. That is also a problem because 
if if you start storing it in containers and if if the container becomes weaker on any side it can just you know blow up the entire container yes that is one of the biggest issues and you know that 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 should be worked on it's it, that's why it's a future tech I was thinking about Oppenheimer and you know the conversation in the movie like spoilers for people who haven't watched Oppenheimer just yet but you know how they were talking about uh the hydrogen bomb and how Russia mm-hmm. might have hydrogen bombs I mean at that time mm-hmm. uh and they were talking about how a fission reaction could fuel a fusion reaction which would create an even larger explosion so yeah, that is that something time. that that is something that this hydrogen energy could just end up resulting in yeah the atmospheric uh, combustion is isn't that what they were talking about in oppenheimer the yeah. a continuous chain of reaction which will kill the entire world so how safe is this energy <laughs> it's it's safe uh but the storage part is something um i think toyota is working on it too toyota um has uh, that's why uh fuel cell technology is um picking up but it's going to take time for storage you know um there's needs to be a lot more research done for storage of hydrogen so in that point so i think you you uh, like what you uh favor comes into play solar other forms of renewables i mean i wouldn't say i favor solar over something else but um i was thinking about how we've spent years decades looking into solar energy we've been talking about how we've been trying to make solar cells a little more efficient right like there's been this whole discussion this this uncovering of perovskites as uh solar cells and they have an efficiency of 25% to 29% we've been talking about additional technology uh techniques pardon me that have been helping us stack solar cells one on top of another to increase the efficiency per uh unit area. Mm-hmm. So we've made that progress. Why hasn't solar energy why aren't we talking about solar energy as the future then why is it hydrogen? Like there has been progress people have been focusing on solar energy for god knows how long. Why aren't yeah, deserts so- why aren't roofs all covered with solar panels why aren't deserts filled with solar panels what is happening so if you talk about solar there are two things right there is the solar panel technology and and there is the solar concentration you know so they have this uh, technology where you, you take the mirrors and point them at and and one uh, at a one location and all the so, uh, solar rays are concentrated there and um there uh the heat is used to melt salt and it's uh, the molten salt over a period of time you know as um slowly or uh, even at night time uh that molten salt the energy which is um uh, extracted from that molten salt can be utilized to generate electricity yeah so that those are the newest forms earlier it was just photo photovoltaic cells that converted mm-hmm. solar energy but that time. was also a failure that was uh, there Why? was one done in um um Saudi Arabia because it didn't pay off as much as much they thought it's going to pay off the amount of electricity generation was not um optimum as how much they actually um you know thought they uh, it could um so it wasn't it wasn't a very efficient form that's the first mm-hmm. challenge 
which I think people are looking at overcoming, like with the perovskite cells that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is durability, because some of these places are faced with the harshest of climates. Like we've been talking about that. I don't know if we ever brought it up on the podcast, but there has been an instance where uh, we've been talking about beaming down wireless energy using solar panels on uh, satellites. Mm. Now, I mean, I'm talking about uh, low orbit Earth Earth satellites. And uh, with that, space is a harsh climate. So designing for something to sustain in space for a certain period of time is something that is not going to be incredibly economical. Similarly, lacing deserts with solar panels is also not going to work because it affects the ecosystem there. Because suddenly, like the Earth that was used to getting a certain amount of, uh, not sunlight per se, but heat, and creatures that were living in and around that place are suddenly displaced by these large panels that are spanning across the ground. You are going to change the ecosystem, and that could cause issues elsewhere in the world. We're talking about the butterfly effect, right? Like we could have something Mm -hmm. of the butterfly effect, and that could damage the ecosystem elsewhere. There were, like, I I was reading this article about why the Sahara Desert isn't covered with solar uh, panels, and they were talking about how if you did that, uh, that would affect the ocean currents in and around the place because it would affect the uh, the flow of air above the Sahara, which would affect the ocean, which would then affect uh, ocean currents that that neighbor those ocean currents, which would then maybe have potentially detrimental effects on the Amazon rainforest, which is currently a large carbon sink for us. Like the point of renewable energy is sustainability. Carbon sink, like carbon capture is a massive part of that. We'd be ruining the Amazon potentially if we disturb the environment in the Sahara Desert. It's it's just not that. There is another thing. So as the temperature increases, the efficiency of solar panels go down. Yeah. You know, uh, so putting it in a desert is is actually not really, you know, it doesn't help, uh, you know, high gen- it's not going to give you high generation of um, electrical energy through photovoltaic cells. So... First thing is, yeah, you have a light of irradiance. You know, there is a lot of irradiance in a tropical area, which is good for the solar panels. But also with that, the heat which comes with it is not good for the solar panels. So the the increase in it's it's like it cancels itself, right? So so that is one of the major issues of solar panels. Of course, there are new technologies which are coming in. You have the half-cut um, solar panels. There are a bunch of other stuff, right? So, but it, it's it's going to take a little bit more time. But you cannot just do that on a, uh, on the desert and expect you're going to get you know massive amounts of uh, electricity. But if you try to do this in a temperate region, you're not. There's not enough irradiance sunlight, right. to sunlight um, to give you so much of optimum amounts of energy as you get in uh, in a tropical area. I don't know if that is factual, entirely factual, I would say, because there have been positive use cases of the Tesla roof in the US and in mm-hmm. Australia, like when it's been installed, because I think that was the biggest issue, right? Like they weren't being installed. Yeah, but, but 
Tesla was planning on installing a thousand roofs a week. In total, they installed only three thousand roofs till now. So there is. It's it's there, a it laborious is. process. I hear it takes like five to six months. I was watching Marcus Brownlee's uh, review mm. of uh, the Tesla roofs one year one year in. He said that he'd started it in November, December, and it got done in June, July. So it took it took a while, like seven seven eight months nearly, and. Uh, installation they have to come in and understand the size of your roof manufacture to the size of your roof and then start installing panels because it's a seamless integration the benefits are tremendous of course but like long story short like what i'm getting at is there may be cases for optimum usage of this i wouldn't write it off just yet now no, no, why I'm is not writing it off but right. it's just it's it's another uh, this, uh, a problem uh, which solar uh, yeah it's a potential challenge yeah it has yeah. A, it is a challenge agreed now two things we haven't talked about fully just yet we spent quite a bit talking about hydrogen energy um, wind and hydro when when I say hydro yeah. I'm talking about dams I'm talking about tidal energy talking about wave energy what are your thoughts on those. First, let's start with wind. So yeah. windmills, um, since you brought up wind, uh, windmills are highly, uh, the, to make a windmill, uh, the carbon footprint is about 1,700 tons of carbon dioxide uh, to create one windmill. Of course, if it's at proper usage, you, you, um, you can recover that in nine months of windmill usage, considering optimum, um, Optimum usage, not um, you know, not below optimum uh, usage. So it takes about nine months to actually for a carbon save. offset. Sure. Yeah, I'm a carbon offset. Carbon offset. So that is one of the things. So and the environmental damage it also causes, like it kills a lot of birds. So windmills are known to kill a lot of birds. You know, so you don't need that one one stone for two birds. Yeah, so you you got three three wings for multiple birds. Yeah. So that is one. So and the second thing. So if we're talking about tidal energy, I'm not sure why. No, I wouldn't not end your conversation where, where where it's at because solar energy is something that's big, that that is that is something that people are pushing for. So not solar mm -hmm. energy. Pardon me, wind energy, like mm -hmm. Suzon energy. Right? We were talking about investing in yeah. it. Had invested in it. It's now debt free, by the way. Oh man. Yeah, it's now debt free, or or they intend on they've raised some money, and about fifteen hundred crores of that money is going to go into, if I remember correctly, is going to go into servicing its debt. So clearly, there is a use case for a growing use case for wind. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other challenges? Like, I one, I in my opinion is like you've talked about the environmental impact, like impact on birds, uh, the manufacture, the carbon offset that it, that would be required, the energy energy generation for the carbon offset. The second thing I would think about is land area. There are it requires large spans of land, and you need a lot mm -hmm. of these just there. The land is not being used for anything else or possibly not going to be used for anything else because it's not like you can build houses under a large windmill. 
Yeah, it reduces your uh, real estate value if you do that <laughs> under <laughs> the <laughs> windmill. But but me personally, I if you're going for wind, um, it's better to go um, offshore. You know, like uh, no onshore. You know, like deep inside the sea where there's not a lot of birds. Birds tend to be close to this uh, the the land, sure. right? So so if you fall far deep inside the sea and build these um you know um, windmills um i think that's a better way to do it but the problems with those is uh let's say if you have a you know windmills have about like uh 400 liters of oil which is inside you know the windmill i hope you know that so that's uh, uh the another carbon footprint which goes with it so the oil uh, with inside, uh, let's say if you have an oil leak inside this windmill, it's it's going to cause an oil um, oil leak in the middle of the ocean. So that's another issue to deal with. So these are the disadvantages of wind. You know, I'm not trying to bash it, but I'm trying to give you both the advantages and disadvantages of it. And the noise as well. I mean, the noise is fine. It's, you're in the middle of the ocean. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Yeah, no, I, my head was still stuck on the whole, like, what if I had a windmill on the top of my roof? Yeah, I mean, you know, the real estate actually goes down. If you have um, high tension, um, you know, power lines close to your house, mm. real estate values go down uh, in Australia, uh, Europe, and America. I'm not sure about India, but, you know, but in America, if you do that, your real estate goes down by 30%. Wow. All right, um, tidal, hydroelectric and tidal. Tidal, you know what? What? Um, what is very well. interesting? I'm not sure why they didn't uh, go behind tidal. Tidal is one of the best and cleanest energies. Like wave energy is ever present. Like it's because of partly because of gravitational uh, pull from the moon, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's always there. Like and currents are continuing to assist with creating i don't want to say waves and amplitude and such like wave notions emotions which can generate uh, energy the thing there is that you remember when we were talking about space being one of the harshest environments mm -hmm. middle of the ocean is not is not the safest environment either it is your your equipment is going to take a battering and i'm not just talking about a battering from waves because that is potentially a good thing but i'm talking about the wildlife there the wildlife isn't going to be like if you introduce uh turbines there, the wildlife isn't going to be like oh encroachment in, in my territory i'll just move to another place they're going to, going to going to want to go and investigate there have been cases of Sharks Wave energy. So, what, if you're talking about tidal energy, what my perception is underwater currents. You know, I'm not talking about on the on the surface. So, oh, if okay. you're looking at underwater currents, it's not the even if you put a turbine. You know, you know, like there's uh, currents which go on deep inside the water. If you're able to utilize, uh, you know, extract energy through that, that is one of the major sources. But what my concern is, like you said, you know, like uh, it's going to affect, uh, you know, um, you know, the life underwater, you know, like the fishes and all that stuff. And but, the survival of the equipment, the durability of the equipment, that's not going to be the easiest. 
yeah, the salt water is going to kill it. Second thing. It ruins it, my metals. It ruins my AC's <laughs> outside unit. And I'm just like, what, 200, 300 meters from the sea. Imagine yeah, being right in there. That's another thing with, which goes along with it. I don't think it's going to affect the sea life, you know, like because the turbines um, won't affect that unless, you know, they, they come with the, the netting and everything, right? So the turbine shouldn't be affected by the sea life. All right. Now, I was thinking about the, I, yeah, tidal energy turbines, I, I see what you mean. I was thinking about uh, wave energy and the equipment that's going to float on the surface. You are going to have to think about ways in which you can prevent like a curious shark from coming in and chomping down on the equipment just to see what it, what it is. Yeah. The, yeah. But, but the currents is a better way to do it than the, you know, like, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the tidal energy on the uh, close to the shore, like you know the the water rises and goes. No, back I was actually talking that. about middle of the ocean, but yeah, tidal energy. You could have it close to the shore. I think the main challenge there is transportation of energy, right? Like you'd yeah. have to have you. The efficiency might not justify the costs. No, and um, with regards to currents, you know, like the underwater currents. We still mm. don't even know. We we didn't even map the ocean well. You know, we we map the the space much better than the ocean. Right. All right. Uh. So we've talked about the different types of uh, of renewable energy sources. We've talked about some of the pros and cons in terms of the storage, the transportation, the potential hydrogen bombs, as an example. Now. <laughs> Who's using what? Tesla, solar energy. That's at least that's what I've seen so far. Tesla, solar, electric future. Um, Reliance in India and Adani, they've committed to hydrogen. At, at least that's what I remember. Yeah. The Indian government talked about hydrogen, uh, hydrogen powered cars coming in. Reliance and Adani have committed to uh, hydrogen. So that is something that is potentially coming into the future. Adani Green, um, Suzlon, we were just talking about that. These companies are committed to renewable energy of some forms, but not necessarily a hydrogen future. Like with Suzlon, they're talking about wind energy. What do you see about the different companies and what their commitments are? So India is actually um, investing heavily into hydrogen. Mm. But India uh, mostly wants to do, I think, hydrogen combustion. But Reliance and Adani are are big into hydrogen fuel cell technology. So because they are trying to buy uh, the you know the battery tech, and um, there was a what was that um, in an in industrial plant with uh, with uh, uh, fuel cell technology they were trying to buy right. So or build, I mean. Um, Reliance, especially. I don't remember exactly what you're talking about. Um, I'll pull it up. I'll, I'll add it to the uh, description. But basically, yeah, but hydrogen is going to be future in India. So it's betting heavy on hydrogen. So with regards to companies, I'm not sure about so long, you know, really. Uh, but uh, Adani and Reliance are gearing up towards hydrogen. Yes, that's correct. Fantastic. Tesla, so that, yeah, sorry. 
Tesla, if you look at Tesla, most of its energy comes from coal powered grids. Which is funny. So it's a hypocrisy. Yeah. Uh, potentially, like you could make that argument about uh, about efficiencies and maybe the efficiency calculations talk about uh, carbon neutrality, but whatever, that's that's not the conversation right now. Like, we're talking about renewable as the future. Um, so clearly these companies are lending credence to your argument of hydrogen being that future. And that is, at the end of the day, what works, right? Like, it, the future is going to be what adoption is going to be. If supply is hydrogen, demand is going to shape itself as hydrogen as well. Yeah. And so I get that. I, get, I can see why hydrogen can be the future. But I'm going to have a follow-up to that. What about distribution? And I'm talking about I'm talking about a couple of podcast episodes back. We were talking about the one grid. There was there were talks in the U.S. about a super grid. There were talk conversations. I forget what company uh, was looking at power distribution between the U.K. and France. So let's talk about the EU region about uh, about the gas pipelines that they have about. China's conversation about India's conversation about unified grids, basically. Where do you think we fall with that? It's a long shot. Yeah, I understand. Um, like Why? the one sun, one grid. Uh, um, I, I think one sun, one grid um, between India. I think um, Saudi Arabia is in the pipeline to actually build, uh, connect the grid with India. Um, if you look at it, it started with internet. So the internet actually, the originally, if you look at it, uh, we have, um, you know, internet um, optic fiber lines from uh, Singapore, India. So if you look at it, that's actually created that idea of sharing electricity. Yeah, I understand um, if you look, uh, certain countries are skeptical about it because if you're in the same, if your grid is actually uh, supported by your enemy countries, they can literally shut it down in the middle. So when you need it. So I understand those uh, disadvantages, but overall, if there is a, um, a good alliance, you know, a strong alliance between these countries, um, the energy can be shared. I don't know what uh, what you'd call a strong alliance between any countries, honestly, because within the European Union, you would have assumed that they'd be incredibly strong, right? But, and I'm not talking about Russia and the Nord pipe stream. I'm thinking about when Greece defaulted or when Spain, Portugal, and some of these other countries went into a little bit of an economic spiral. It wasn't like, I, I understand that there was support and support per what was feasible, but at the same time, there were conversations around, like, why should I be bailing these countries out? Why should I be investing my resources for somebody else's wealth? And that's a conversation that's going to keep coming up. It's human nature. You can't escape that. I would say if there was this concept of one, this one grid, one earth, whatever you want to call it, like a unified grid across countries, you would need a certain neutrality. You would need either a nation like Switzerland, who has remained neutral for 
a while. I, I'm saying this uh, because, you know, there was this Swiss card that was a part of that that used to be loaned out. But yeah, they've, they've been neutral for a while. Like if you had a country like Switzerland or if you, I, I don't know, like one of these islands that just were there and uh, you had a nation that just was responsible for this grid alone, then maybe things could work out. Because, But they could be attacked. They could be like the U.S. could have just torpedoed North. Like there were conspiracies about the U.S. terminating that, right? Like to benefit themselves. And I'm not yeah. saying that that has happened, but things like that could happen. Like things like that could happen in the future if there was one grid. I could just stop your operations if I felt like it. And so I don't know if this one grid thing is going to come to fruition or if it's going to come to anything. Yeah, it's it's, it's a long shot, man. So it's really not like we uh, there's no guarantee it's going to take off, but it's a it's a noble idea, right? So if it works, well and good. If it doesn't, you know, we stick with our own uh, energy security. Right. So one final thought around the grid specifically. Mm-hmm. We are living in a world where Things are powered by technology. You have AI. What do you? How do you see AI working in this entire setup? In the grid setup, mm-hmm. um, optimization. AI can be utilized for optimization. You know, like where, uh, like instead of doing it manually, I think AI can um, be um, AI powered. And optimization is the best way to go. Like, let's say if you have, uh, you know, a grid in in a certain part of the grid is lacking electricity, AI can take over, and the algorithm can actually get redistribute energy, basically. Understood. Um, they have the same thing with battery technology, right? So now they're doing AI powered uh, batteries uh, technology for, you know powering the cars. So that is another place where AI can take over. Right. Uh, I was I was uh, going through some articles about how uh, there is this conversation about responsible, uh, responsible demand or responsible usage where when there is low production, people tend are, are people opt in into this program where there's low production, they tend to reduce their use of electricity and when yeah. there's higher production, they uh, can proportionately increase their energy. I don't know how feasible that's going to be, but that's an idea that's floating about. And that's where maybe AI could assist. Um, another thought that I had was uh, smart grid, grid distributions. As we get a little better with the distribution of renewable energy, um, where, like let's say there are solar panels across multiple roofs, that, that just becomes a thing. Then storing energy, sending energy back to the grid, helping the grid find a balance. Like if we are pushing for an electric car future, that is going to put a strain on the grid. But if yeah. if buildings, uh, apartment buildings in India uh, and houses, we get solar panels or some sort of renewable energy setup that that is able to offset its own consumption and send energy back to the grid, send energy back to the grid when we aren't using it, like at nighttime when energy consumption might reduce. That is something that could benefit us greatly. And I think I think it is time that we invest in the concept of a smart grid 
like there's widespread investment in the concept of a smart grid. And I think that that's something that AI can definitely shape. Agreed, agreed. Um, the, the, the thing where it comes out is, I think the one grid, uh, one sun, um, one earth thing is, is to offset the nighttime. Uh, like what if you, where are you gonna get energy at nighttime? If, if it's a solar-based technology. So you can actually extract it from a country which has sunlight right now. So right. yes, I, I do agree. So the smart grids, uh, if the alliance works, it's gonna be fantastic. Right. I mean, not not just alliance, I'm talking about intra-country, like inter-country, yeah. whatever the right word is. Um, within my own country, I should yeah. have a smart grid. Now, Final question, closing thoughts. Fossil fuels, are they dying out? I don't think so, man. It's it's still gonna be there. Fossil fuel is still gonna be there. You still need, for example, you need grease. Where are you gonna get uh, grease from for uh, refining fossil fuels? You need basic stuff like petroleum, you need it. You need uh, plastics, you need, um, you know, you need nylon for your clothes, you know, everything. You still need fossils. You can just uh, remove fossil from uh, for energy, but you still need it in your general life. You know, like everything is plastic. I mean, I mean, everything is plastic, you know, I'm not talking about Kim Kardashian, but I'm just saying, you know, I wasn't thinking about Kim Kardashian, but all right. I mean, <laughs> all right. Uh, interesting. Final, thought. <laughs> Final thoughts. I agree with your scope of hydrogen. Uh, in my opinion, it's down to adoption. If supply is hydrogen, demand is going to have to shape it into hydrogen. Uh, I understand where you're coming from with respect to, uh, since hydrogen is a more efficient form of uh, it is going to be a little more efficient in terms of fuel release, energy release. That is yes. something that we are going to have to invest in and possibly work out how we can store and move it around and yeah, whatever. I'm I'm gung ho hydrogen. But you're still not um, satisfied with this fossil fuel answer, I feel like. <laughs> I uh, no, I don't care about fossil fuels as much. I I was very excited about the whole uh, Tidal energy, the wave energy, when I read about it, that was something that I wanted, I, I would have hoped that we would invest in if possible. But I understand that it might not be the most feasible in terms of, you know, the efficiency of transportation, the yeah. efficiency of conversion. So uh, for the time being, I'm happy to back hydrogen. And maybe like work out the efficiency of usage. Maybe that is something that uh, makes sense. For us at this point yeah, I guess the pod changed your mind about hydrogen. You were a solar <laughs> Yeah, it changed my mind for sure. All uh, right then. Yeah. Thank you very much, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.